Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. And we are live right now, both on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Periscope. It's so great to be with you on a windy and dusty day uh, here in the Holy Land. And this after uh, a windy and dusty uh, election cycle, election number four in two years. So it's called Israel Elects 4. I'm not used to that kind of system growing up in America, uh, where you actually knew where and when elections was, and it happened every four years on a certain date, and then a party won and you knew it. Here it's a little bit different. Um, we, we, we have uh, an election that, that happens when the Knesset decides it happens, uh, up to four years, but a lot of times earlier, um, and most of the times earlier, really. I don't know if it's ever really lasted its full f- term of four years. Uh, and and moreover, uh, when the election results come in, it's not exactly clear if you have a government yet because there's coalition building. And that's going to be the topic of our discussion today uh, on the Ishai Fleischer Show. We are uh, honored to welcome Alex Trayman, who is the Jerusalem Bureau Chief for JNS.org, which is Jewish News Syndicate, uh, which is a great website uh, pumping out uh, intellectual an intellectual power. Uh, of both conservatism, uh, the rights of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, just great news in the Jewish world and in Israel. Uh, Alex, you're doing a great job at uh, JNS.org. I want everybody to visit. And Alex, um, I want to talk to you about Israel Elects 4. And let's talk about the results. Uh, because right now, as I've been chatting uh, with some people like Elon Levy, so he's basically saying, look, it's another deadlock Netanyahu has not managed to make a coalition. It's a loss for him. It's it's a there's a lack of clarity, and that uh, lack of, uh, as we say in Hebrew, hachra'a, which means a decisive victory. That lack of decisive victory means that we very well may be going to Israel elects five, uh, like Rocky five thousand, that type of thing. Uh, and 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 sometimes people say, well, the, the game is endless and the system is broken, and Netanyahu certainly can't pull it out. That's that is one of the major spins that you're seeing out there. How do you see it? Absolutely. Well, first of all, definitely Israelis had wanted there to be a very conclusive result because this cycle of uncertainty in the Israeli political system is really weighing the nation down. People are not happy to be going to the polls every several months, even every 12 months, certainly not every three months or six months. Uh, So people were looking for clarity last night. And when the exit polls first came out uh, with the closing of the voting booths at 10 p.m., it did appear that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had 61 seats of preferred coalition partners. That means the parties that sit on the ideological right and also were committed to sitting with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And you need 61 out of 120 seats in the Knesset among the various parties to build a majority coalition. And it appeared as though Netanyahu did have 61. However, as the votes actually started to be counted by the Central Elections Committee as opposed to by the media outlets who were basically taking exit polls, what became clear was that a small era party on the fringe of the 3.25% minimum Knesset threshold, the minimum number of votes that you need to get, which is equivalent to about four seats, uh, they managed to get across that threshold and may actually get five seats. Um, and so what happens is those five seats <clears throat> then get subtracted from the rest of the pool. 
And once that happened, it appeared as though Netanyahu's block shrank from about 61 seats to 59 seats, mm-hmm. which is too short of that majority. However, it is important to note that this year, due to coronavirus, several drive through voting booths were set up across the country uh, that anybody could go to and vote at, which is different than the other voting booths that each individual is assigned a specific voting booth that they're supposed to vote at. But because of Corona, basically you had these absentee drive through voting booths and there's 450,000 votes that were cast in these booths. And those votes have to be first counted and then second double checked against the voting records from the standard voting booths to make sure that nobody cast a double vote. This prevents election fraud and double voting. Uh, So the 450,000 votes is equivalent to approximately 12 seats. So uh, the final tallies are not in and things can shift. And it is possible still potentially that Netanyahu would get across that 61 uh, minimum number threshold with his preferred partners. If he does, then you have a game over scenario Netanyahu gets his coalition partners to sign on the dotted line obviously they still have to negotiate things like budget allocations and ministerial appointments Uh, but basically after that process takes place you imagine that by the deadline that the partners that had pledged to sit with Netanyahu would sign on the dotted line Netanyahu would become the prime minister and you would actually have a stable government even though it's narrow it would be stable because the parties are ideologically aligned and want to sit together. Now, if Netanyahu does not get to the 61, well, then a process of recruitment begins uh, where Netanyahu will have to convince uh, members of other parties that have essentially pledged not to sit in his government to come join his government. And the greatest leverage that he has, aside from potentially great ministerial appointments or budget allocations or things like that, is that the consequences of one or two or more of those Knesset members not coming across and joining a Netanyahu-led government would be a fifth election, which is extraordinarily costly and would further sink the morale of a nation that is losing trust in its parliamentary system. Okay, well, that can that blame can go both ways. You could say, well, you know, we've asked you, Netanyahu, get out of the way. We're not going to sit with you. So you're holding up the show. Or the other way, which is, hey, uh, other parties, why are you on a vendetta against one man? You have a similar ideology, for example, the Gidon Sar party uh, uh, and, and other parties. Um, for example, the, the Israel Beitano party of Lieberman. It's like, hey, you, you're a nationalist. You have a nationalist ideology, so-called right-wing. Why not just join in? That's what the country wants. The country wants you to join in and to have a stable government and move forward. So you can, you can throw that blame around both ways. And so people on the left, uh, I see often throwing that blame towards Netanyahu, saying, get out of the way. We want you out already. You've served your time. You've done your thing. And, and you, have, you certainly have uh, what they call schuyot, which is uh, achievements. Uh, but on the other hand, you also have detractions. You have things that, 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 have, that have not been operating properly because it's one man in one way uh, for the last uh, almost 15 years. And so get out of the way. So who, who's right about this? Is it Netanyahu's got to get out of the way or do they have to get – or do the other parties that are also associated with nationalism, uh, should they get over their, their egos – that's the language here in Israel – and join this coalition? Well, in a parliamentary democracy, really, the people are supposed to decide that. Uh, and 
Right now, Prime Minister Netanyahu essentially has 59 Knesset members on the way to 61 that already are agreeing in principle to sit with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And if you go across the spectrum, first of all, and you just look at the election results, first of all, the Likud is the only party in this election that has come out as a ruling, potential ruling party. They're the only party anywhere to cross the over 30 seats have 30 or 31 seats according to specific counts that were you know whatever the final numbers will be the second largest party which was led by Yeshatid by Yair Lapid who is the head of the opposition got 18 or 17 seats in comparison so that's a gap of 14 seats it's not uh, like you had in the first three elections where the opposition to Netanyahu was consolidated inside this blue and white party and Likud and blue and white basically went neck and neck three elections in a row until Netanyahu eked out a three Knesset seat margin over the blue and white in the third election. Uh, here you have a 14 seat gap between Likud and the next largest party with 17 seats. You've never in Israeli history seen a party with 17 seats uh, come forward and say that that could be a ruling party. So that's on the one. And then on the other is that Yair Lapid cannot put a coalition together that's anywhere as near the 61-seat minimum mandate that you need to form a coalition. You, you can't even come close because the parties that would potentially sit to oppose Netanyahu are, are not ideologically similar. They, in fact, they disagree on most of the key issues of religion. Right, so, so like a get on, a get on sour part party is a nationalist party. They, they identify themselves as right-wing, but at the same time, they don't like Netanyahu, but they're not in the same... Uh, mental set, they don't have the right. same perspectives as a labor party or a merits party. So they have to make a choice. Do we either sit under a Yair Lapid, who they have virtually nothing in common with on an ideological level, and also Lapid does not wield the type of power that is necessary for a ruling party, such that such a coalition would very likely be highly unstable, and Yair Lapid himself is extremely inexperienced when it comes to governance was finance minister for a year and a half it was a it was a disaster and he was fired from that post by netanyahu uh for disagreeing uh with with over policies um or would Gidon sar say listen i tried to beat netanyahu within the Likud a year ago i challenged netanyahu for the for the uh, first spot in the Likud party. He lost that primary 75 to 25%. Then he broke off from the Likud because he understood that now he's Netanyahu's enemy within the party and he's not going to get any of the high profile ministerial posts for challenging Netanyahu's rule. So he broke off and he tried to form his own party and he tried to convince the Israeli electorate that he was an alternative an alternative candidate could lead from the right, which is where the overwhelming majority of Jewish and Zionist Israelis are today, on the center and the right. When he first announced his candidacy, uh, he initially had a, a big boost in the polls. He was polling as high as 20 seats. And, of course, the Israeli media, who tends to lean to the left and is very anti-Netanyahu in their outlook, and they blame Netanyahu for everything, and they would assist to get him out at any cost. They've proven that over and over again. They put Gidon Saar on television every single night. And what happened was instead of Saar cementing his image as someone who could replace Netanyahu, that week by week, his poll numbers were going down and down and down. And why and is that? Why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that Gidon Saar turned out to be a kind of 
dud, or at least his party came out to be a kind of because dud. Because in those key interviews, he was not saying anything that differentiated him from Netanyahu. Not only that, it became clear to Israelis that he would not be able to accomplish what Netanyahu was able to accomplish. You know, there, there's the big leagues and the minor leagues, right? And people on the right understood that despite any of the flaws, and there are many, and despite all the baggage of which there is much, and despite the polarizing uh, personality, and despite the promises that were made that might not have been kept, that Netanyahu is the star of the show. He, he's the all-star of the team. And the other players are simply supporting cast. And that became clear to many Israelis. So instead of Saar turning around and saying, listen, I tried to defeat Netanyahu. I, I gave it my best shot. But now I see with only six seats to my name that the Israeli voters, and especially the Israeli voters on the right, chose Netanyahu, who got five times as many seats as Saar. That Saar should do the right thing for the Israeli public and turn around and said and say, listen, I gave it my best and I tried to present an alternative. You chose clearly, as you did in the primaries a year ago, and you chose Netanyahu to be the leader of the right wing camp. And me as a loyal member of Israel's right wing. And, and, and they be, and they former Likudnik, meaning to say right. until very recently, grew or, up in the Likud as a Likud man. Former Likudnik, former minister that served under Netanyahu, former cabinet secretary that worked for Netanyahu should say, listen, I understand why you why many people in this country don't like him. I still don't like him, but but I have a job to do, and that is to represent the people of Israel. And we have a historic opportunity to build a strong right wing government and he can do the right thing and enter a Netanyahu government and get a very high and senior ministerial post for doing that, probably for himself and maybe one or two other members of his party, and try to affect the policies of an incoming right-wing government. Uh, and, and I think that there's actually a strong likelihood that that will happen. Even although, despite- although, although, although he's saying that the voices that are coming out of that party are, no, we're going to be a strong opposition, we're going to serve Israel through opposition, uh, and not going to join the coalition, uh, well, of which course. I mean that also drives up the bargaining price, right? <laughs> so you know, right now we're getting into a period of intense negotiations. Uh, it's not the pretty; these will not be the prettiest weeks in uh, Israeli politics. Uh, but you know, you just have to look back to a year ago when you had Benny Gantz, who was the leader of a party that had thirty-three seats compared to Likud's 36, it really was presenting a, a potential alternative to Netanyahu's reign as the prime minister. And ultimately, when faced with the potential crisis of a fourth rapid-fire election, and then also coupled with the coronavirus pandemic, which just struck the country, you only had the first confirmed cases about 10 days before that election, uh, that Gantz understood that the right thing to do uh, in those circumstances was ultimately to to you know, hold, hold his tongue and join a Netanyahu-led government. And so that's an interesting question about Gantz. Like, was he seen at the end? I mean, there was there was pretty much a, a, a across the board sense that this man was not a very capable politician. He may have been a capable general, maybe not, but he was a capable, but not a very capable politician. On the other hand, some people said that his party would be wiped out, the Blue and White Party, or at least get like only four seats, just barely make it uh, across the threshold. But in these elections, he did surprising for that way of thinking. He did surprisingly well and got eight. I think that's eight right now. So is he a winner or a loser? Is he, is he, is he 
you know, is he representing, like you just said, like maybe people were like, listen, this guy did the right thing. He went into the coalition and from their perspective held Netanyahu in check. Uh, or was he a doofus who kind of promised that he wouldn't join a Netanyahu government, went and joined afterwards uh, and kind of reneged on his word. And that, that's why he was once a huge party and is now a pretty marginal party. Well, I I think that there's several truths in what you said. I, I absolutely believe that Benny Gantz did the honorable thing and stabilized the crisis when that is what was required of him to do. He did that, and and even though you could suggest that he essentially got, I don't know what's the better way to say this, he got screwed by Netanyahu. The two had agreed on a rotation arrangement, and Netanyahu found a loophole in their agreement to trigger an election without handing over the reins of power to Gantz. But which he, which as, he had promised, right? Which he had promised to give him promised a rotation. In, in writing, okay? In, in, a, in, a, in a contract that was negotiated with lawyers over, over like days, you know, day and night to get to that agreement. And, and Netanyahu found a way to break the agreement. But as you're pointing out, Netanyahu essentially did the will of the voters because today voters do not see Benny Gantz as prime ministerial uh, material. And I think that uh, his trajectory now looks similar to the trajectory of many other uh, leaders that challenged for the leadership and didn't quite get there. And they don't necessarily fall all the way down to zero in a single election, but often fall down to zero in two elections. Uh, so you might see that happen. I, I think for potentially the only the only party that has managed to, to sort of buck that trend is the Yesha Tea Party, which is led by Yair Lapid, that, that came out of nowhere uh, in 2013 to get to 19 seats and then sort of fizzled down towards 10, but now has sort of built itself back up as the the most viable alternative to Netanyahu at, at 17 seats. Although, as I mentioned, that 17 seats still falls way behind the Likud's 31. So let, let's let's play out coalition scenarios. Uh, first thing, is there any coalition that's not a Likud or, or let's put it this way, not a Netanyahu-led coalition? Is there any possibility of that? Right. Right now, it looks like either Netanyahu builds a coalition or we're getting to another election. So although... In Israeli politics, you have to, at this point, expect the unexpected. Nobody expected that we get it to a fourth election. Nobody expected we get into a second election. So Let's game it out. Let's game out the numbers and see how does Netanyahu uh, make uh, a coalition. He's got his 30 or 31. Um, the ultra-Orthodox did very well. Uh, 17 seats between 17 them. seats, which is a big surprise because like, they had 15 last time. Am I right, Alex? That's right. So that's 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 pretty good, by the way. That's a growth. That just goes to show you that like the ultra orthodox are having children and they're they're coming of age and they're voting. That's really incredible. So they went up to seventeen. So let's say thirty plus seventeen is is forty seven, uh, plus a great showing by uh, uh, by Betzalel Smutrich's religious Zionism party getting six. Right. Uh, so that's forty seven plus six is fifty three. Um, uh, plus and then the Yamina party of seven. Right. That's uh that comes out to sixty. Wait, so that's thirty. Thirty-nine plus six is four plus seven is forty-six. Plus another seven is fifty-three. Plus six of religious Zionism is in fifty-nine. So right. there's basically fifty-nine 
seats, Knesset members ready to sign on. Uh, Ostensibly, now you you can't, you don't ha- you don't you don't know that for sure because the Yamina party, at least the way it's being promoted on on, on yeah. in the media, is still a question mark. Again, that's a price driving. Well, they they uh, certainly tactic. have not ruled out at any point sitting in a Netanyahu government, which leads the assumption that uh, if that's what it takes, they will join a Netanyahu government. Um, and basically, Netanyahu needs to find now at least two Knesset members. From among the parties that have pledged not to sit in a Netanyahu-led government, and the most likely of those scenarios comes either from Gidon Sar and his New Hope Party, which obviously could drive a fantastic bargain uh, for coming into a Netanyahu-led government, essentially in a kingmaker position. Uh, you could imagine in such a scenario Gidon Sar being a finance minister or, or getting you know, two or three or four uh, strong ministries, even though he only carries six seats into the into the coalition. But those are the six seats necessary to break over the line, so to speak. Right. Uh, but that's that's if, a, that's if a whole party moves over like, you know, sorry, that's if a whole also, party comes. Right. But individuals can also jump over. That's right. right. A, a, an individual or a faction could break off. And, you know, the New Hope performed miserably in the elections you know compared to the compared to the expectations and uh, could be that uh that some members of that party might say this was a failed experiment you know we took our chance it didn't work out and obviously the Likud will welcome these people back with open arms even right. though just just a few months before they defected and embarrassed the party but right. even so when it comes to building a coalition if you're the ones that that take us across the line we will welcome you back with open arms and right. and reward you for doing that uh, and, and I heard Miri Regev say just that yesterday as I was driving home from baking matzahs. I heard her on the news saying, hey, you know, come back home to what you really are, which you guys, you folks at the Get On Star Party are really Likudnikim. You are right. Likudniks. So uh, so come on home. That's the language. And, and we'll take you into a coalition. But something that you and I discussed before the show today, uh, it could be a situation where where suddenly we can find ourselves where it's not expected right now, but it could be that we suddenly have a quite broad coalition. If one of these parties starts breaking, or people starts breaking rank, other people say, you know what, what am I going to sit now uh, for a few years in the opposition, basically doing nothing where I could be leading the country and impacting it? And the math could swing the other way, where other people, even from blue and white, Kacholavan, for example, could well, actually jump ship and 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 come on over and make well, a coalition. Yeah, I think that the two the two options, you know, either come from all or part of the New Hope Party led by Gidon Sar, or come from the Blue and White Party led by Benny Gantz. In fact, Benny Gantz ran his whole campaign on the notion that he was the one that kept Netanyahu in check during right. this last period. Uh, so Gantz himself has a choice: does he either run into the opposition where he is? You know, one of the smaller parties sitting behind Yair, Yair Lapid and, and Avigdor Lieberman in the bottom of the opposition pool? Or does he come on and retain the defense ministry portfolio in a Netanyahu-led government, which is a very high-profile and important position, you know, where he can similarly be that thorn in Netanyahu's side and continue to be in the media and, and potentially strengthen his brand for a future election? Um you know, and claim that that role once again. So that's another possibility. But right, but, but it's, it's strengthen the brand 
or it's weak in the brand, right? The, the, it's, That's it's, the risk. That's the right? risk. The, the risk course. is that the weak in the brand is you got to show yourself as an alternative to Netanyahu. And if you go in with him, you've just been co-opted. You've just sold out. You're just another one of the kind of goons. And you just did it for a seat. And you just did it for yourself and for your ego, et cetera. You know, or the way you're saying it, which is a kind of language that's more, you know, I think a, a tad more American in nature. But I say that in a complimentary sense, which is like, okay, there's civic duty. The country needs you. We can't go to fifth elections. And by the way, there is one more option, which is we go to fifth elections. But then the the option doesn't doesn't stay with uh, we're just going to new elections. Then there's already uh, uh, a talk underneath the surface, which is election reform or system reform of how, of, of our very government system. Uh, right. Maybe how do you reform the government when you don't have a stable government in place? That's the conundrum. You know, it would take a very strong and stable government to change the system. Yet at the same time, if you're able to form a strong and stable government in the current system, do you really have a motivation to change that system? Exactly. Right? Exactly. But I think you did make an important point before, which is if let's say two Knesset members crack. And let's not use that language of crack because I don't think that's that's uh, I, I know what you mean promise. to break right. their promise, right? right? Of uh, of not know, joining a Netanyahu not joining, and they come in and they join a Netanyahu led coalition. Well, then all of a sudden the floodgates might open because the reason why uh, people are maintaining that promise is because they don't want Netanyahu to be the prime minister. But if it becomes clear all of a sudden that no matter what they do, the Netanyahu will be the prime minister. Then it's a question again of do I do I sort of wither in the opposition or do I join the government? And the, and the example of that, you know, Benny Gantz, you know, he he ran three times, you know, on a promise of never joining a Netanyahu government, and yet he did join that government. Of course, you know, he he thought that there was a rotation in place and there was other there was other benefits for joining that government. Fifteen ministries for his fifteen Knesset members was an unprecedented deal that he got. But the second he joined. All of a sudden, so joined Amir Peretz of the Labor Party. And Amir right. Peretz, you know, the, who had this very bushy mustache for his entire career and during the campaign did a stunt and shaved off his bushy mustache and said, read my lips. I'll never sit with Netanyahu. And the second <laughs> dance came in, it, the, the mustache didn't grow back, but but uh, <laughs> Peretz was the labor minister. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Promises made the day before the election and even the day of the election may not be the political reality once the negotiations start. Okay, let's get to a few things that that, that uh, folks are uh, saying out there. First, we have uh, Muhammad Kapo from Sarajevo, uh, a, a great and ancient city that I can't wait to visit one day. So, hi, Muhammad. Thank you so much for joining us. Lou uh, ask, asks a question that I think we already dealt with. Do you see any possibility that Gidon Sars or any members of New Hope will eventually join Likud to form a government? I realize there's an animosity, but they are former Likudniks. I think we discussed that. Uh, Yuchavid yeah. writes, thanks, uh, thanks for doing this to help everybody understand these confusing election results. Uh, Pink Gal Pink says, so great to have you show this morning here in the USA and get the election update. Um, and then here, here's uh, two interesting things. First thing, Pink Cal Pink says, "Can you comment on the Rafa party, I want, or Rafa party? I want to hear what you think about that." And that was the party that ran on uh, uh, on an alternative perspective for the coronavirus and how to handle the coronavirus uh, uh, 
plague pandemic, however you want to, however you want to call it, uh, they had a different perspective, but they were kind of shut out, and and the media didn't give them a spotlight to, to to talk. I think they were thrown off Facebook as well. There was there was really a sense that their voice was not heard. On the other hand, there's always a plethora of small, tiny little parties. That's the way it works here in Israel. You, you can actually register a tiny party that don't get he- heard of at all, like the Pirates Party and all kinds of other, you know, funny little parties that, that are trying to make a point. For example, Arr. the right, that's right. It was, they're, they're rated R. And also, uh, you know, there, there, was, there was, remember the old uh, pro-marijuana party that, 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 uh, that didn't get very high uh, in, in the, um, in the uh, Israeli elections. Uh, so tell me about the Rafa Party. What's that about? Right. So the Rapid Party was a party basically that was against the concept of uh, forced or coerced vaccinations, that they were against the fact that the um, the details of the coronavirus cabinets were locked away for 30 years and the public does not have access to what took place in those coronavirus discussions, uh, that the personal health details of Basically, all Israelis via the the Israeli health system would be sent over to Pfizer in relation to the effectiveness of the vaccine. Um, you know, the feeling that when when your iPhone changes the terms and conditions that you have to click accept. And in this case, data that you f- thought was your personal data was all of a sudden being being sold off to to a major pharmaceutical company uh, without consent. Uh, so they were against many of these things, against extended lockdowns, which essentially ravaged the small businesses and tourism sector. So they they definitely were the only voice that was speaking against some of the uh, coronavirus uh, restrictions and, and regulations. Um, where, where most of the majority of the, the vast majority of the other parties of the kind of uh, uh, more um, mainstream parties, the ones that you know of even on the right and on the left, they all basically had a sense of agreement, uh, lockdowns, closures, vaccinations, and they really didn't, nobody really was offering a counter voice to, to the way that Netanyahu really handled. As, uh, only, only maybe uh, Naftali Bennett, but I didn't quite understand what, was he, what he was offering other than what he, uh, what no, he Naftali pioneered. Bennett, which... Naftali Bennett was talking about stricter lockdowns, stricter testing. Um, but I think that ultimately, I would say 90 plus percent of Israelis feel that the vaccination campaign and Netanyahu's ability to cut the line to be first uh, to receive the vaccines for the entire population, that that was a brilliant masterstroke that only a Netanyahu could pull off. And even the even the real Netanyahu detractors out there, and there are many, they will credit Netanyahu for doing the right thing and getting Israel to the front of the vaccination line. So that's on the ideological level, why the Rappé party didn't do well, but you did mention, and this is, I think, one of the one of the areas that that bear particular notice is that the party got censored, uh, like their Facebook page got taken down. Um, at one point, the Israeli medical board suspended the license or revoked the medical license of the head of the party, Dr. Ari mm. Avni, and. When they did that, that could have been a boon for the party in terms of their Knesset bid because that might have been a hook for media attention. But there was basically essentially a media boycott 
on interviewing Ari Avni that his message, which was there are other ways of dealing with coronavirus aside from the vaccine, uh, that that was essentially censored. So there certainly have been certain issues that I think the Rappé party picked up on that it's a little bit surprising that there aren't other members of some of the mainstream parties with the exception of the merits party, by the way, the, the far left merits party has come out with multiple statements, you know, about uh, maintaining personal freedoms and privacy rights. Um, uh, you, you know, and speaking of merits, I want to tell you, Alex, um, I wrote this on Twitter today and people picked up on it and were like shocked. I'm like, I'm glad that, I'm glad that certain elements of, of the left did well, like relatively well. Like I'm glad that Merits is in and people were like, how could you stand for Merits? Uh, you know, do you stand what they, for what they stand for? I'm like, no, I think I stand almost on every issue on the other side. But an ideological party, which Merits is, which has a kind of, a, I would say, a pretty Jewish voice uh, of the kind that you hear more maybe in America of a liberal type of Jewish voice, like there's something authentic about merits and there was a part of me that's like well good and I, I i sometimes wonder and i and i actually tell this to my friends on the left i'm like why don't you concentrate on real left issues like environmentalism like bettering our education uh like dealing with welfare for the poor like why don't you like go and attack those issues and stop doing the one uh, horrible issue that you, you really are very bad at, which is the two-state solution and giving where you know our land to our enemies. Like lay off of that, but get back to classic left issues, and maybe there's a real you know important voice that you have to add into the, the Israeli uh, into the Israeli public. But I mean, do, do do you think I'm crazy for saying like there's some part of me that's a little bit happy that that merits has a place in Israeli democracy and is going to be, you know, heard loudly and vociferously. Also, there's another reason, maybe it's a very selfish reason, but if you're going to accuse the uh, religious Zionism party of being bigoted and, and, and Kahanist and all kinds of, you know, uh, words, well, we have a very broad conversation and there's something called merits and there's the IR parties, they have their voice. This voice happens to be in the coalition today, but, it, you know, it, it, at least it's there. What, what do you think about what I'm saying? Well, first of all, even though we're a Jewish state, which sounds pretty narrow, it's a very diverse state. And, and we've got 25 volumes of the Talmud, you know, which is all about arguments over the fine points of, of Jewish law. Uh, and so the fact that we would have uh, political disagreements is very Jewish. And in fact, there's something very healthy about the Israeli political system in that the people that vote for these parties are very happy to get into political arguments and ideological arguments with their fellow Israelis that actually disagree with them. That's part of the culture, um, which is very different than how things have transformed in the United States now, where you've seen families split up if one of the members of the family wanted to vote for Donald Trump and the rest didn't. You know, jettison from the family. Friendships of 30, 40 years ended over political views all of a sudden. In Israel, that's not an issue. And and we have 13 parties that crossed the electoral threshold out of 39 parties that had registered uh, as part of this election. At the same time, when you look at the electoral math here and you see that there are 11 different parties now that are going to be in the government that have anywhere between five and nine seats. So you have 
a, a leading party, a ruling party, Likud with 30 seats. Then you have a second-tier party, Yeshatid, with 17 seats, which is probably going to be the head of the opposition. And then you have 11 parties between five and nine seats. And each one of these parties represents a potential kingmaker or deal-breaker in the coalition math. So in a sense, the, the inability to make a working and a stable coalition uh, is potentially due to the fact that there are so many of these small parties, each with their own very narrow agenda, and they don't feel like they have to necessarily do what's right for the larger electorate, aside from those very small uh, number of voters that voted for them. That's right. And there's also no geographic representation in Israel, which means that uh, you don't have to answer to a, an, a constituent that's localized and then you could find them very easily. Somebody could say, hey, I voted for you. Well, you know, go, go on and prove it. I don't know if you voted for me or not. Uh, and I don't know if I'm beholden to you or not. And that there's is no also- direct representation either in terms of the legislature. I mean, in, in all of these parties, even in this election, the Likud party, which typically has a primary, uh, canceled their primary because they had a primary just a year ago before the third election. So you. Of, of all these parties, of the 120 members of the Knesset, I think the Labor Party with their seven seats was the only party to have a legitimate primary before the elections. And when you go to the voting booth as a voter, you see the name of a party on a card and you pick the party that you want to represent you in the government. And you take that party as a package deal, which means that you can almost never replace the, the number two or the number three member of a list. <laughs> There's no way to get a bad Knesset member out uh, without getting the entire party out. So you, right. you don't really have direct representation and you also don't pick the prime minister, right? It's, it will be up now to Netanyahu or any of the other members of the Knesset to, to get 61 other Knesset members to join them. And that process is what will crown the prime minister. So even though it's a parliamentary election, you don't exactly have direct, direct representation, not for your parliamentarians, and not for your prime minister. It is indeed a strange system, and there is murmurings in Israel that it's time to to make let's let's call it like a constitutional convention, a gathering uh, of Israelis to rethink our system. In the meantime, uh, we'll still be playing the game that's at hand right now, which is coalition building for this twenty fourth Knesset. Alex Treman, great job. Uh, you are the Jerusalem bureau chief for JNS.org, JNS.org, which is a Jewish news syndicate. Uh, and is a great uh, online resource for daily news in the Jewish world, in Israel, uh, and important things to the Middle East uh, and, and globally. Thank you so much for joining us. And as Jay White says, he says, <clears throat> Pesach Sameach to you guys and your families. May we all be redeemed this one, this Pesach. Much love. And that's what I'm sending to you, Alex. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Yishai. All right. Awesome stuff uh, with Alex Trayman. And you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. And this is also part of my uh, larger podcast. So you are definitely invited to join uh, my podcast, which is at ishaifleischer.com or at any, uh, uh, any of the podcast servers. Just uh, type in Ishai Fleischer Israel Podcast and you'll find it. And uh, this week we're going to have what we just heard right now, which is Alex Treman. Uh, but we're also going to have Rabbi Shimshon Nadel on Halachot, the laws of this special Pesach, because we have a, a Saturday night, a Motzei Shabbat, a Saturday night Seder. Saturday night Seder, that's what I want to call it. 
Um, and also we have, I think we'll see how long everything is, but I think I'm going to include also my uh, discussion um, with Sergeant Benjamin Anthony of the Miriam Institute about settle for more. What are Jewish rights in Judea? So that's all part of the podcast. And if you're listening on podcast right now, thank you so much for being with me. Write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com, yishai at yishaifleischer.com. Uh, and I want to thank the folks that really make this happen. Uh, if it's Ben Bresky, if it's Tabitha, if it's Yocheved, if it's Moshe Herman, uh, these are folks and our friend Lou, who's online with us right now and wishes us a Chag Sameach. Thank you so much. Uh, for making making the show happen. And also we have awesome sponsors. For example, Prohibition Pickle. Okay, Prohibition Pickle makes the best settler salami uh, and uh, uh, just the, the good stuff that makes Shabbos fun, Shabbat fun. Uh, I love all the spicy stuff that... Uh, uh, that that is made in that it's it's a restaurant it's takeout it's it's deli it's Ashkenazi it's Shabbos uh, and it's here in Tzomer Gush in Gush Etzion but also delivers all across the country so if you want to support your favorite show host your favorite friend just look up Prohibition Pickle on, on Facebook uh, or on Instagram and just order and it makes all the difference in the world it tricks out your kiddish uh, we also have Jerusalem Salves they make fabulous JerusalemSalves.com uh, they make fabulous uh, creams that make your body and your soul. That's right. It's actually, this cream is good for your soul because it brings uh, the land of Israel to you, to your body. And just type in coupon code Yishai, get 10% off. So too, get 10% off at Olive Mail, which will make your beard look awesome and be 100% organic, non-toxic, Judean masculinity, 100% organic, non-toxic, Judean masculinity. And it's really kind of cool. Uh, and if you type into Aleph Mail uh, Yishai, when you check out, you also get 10% off. And so, too, you're going to get uh, 10% off. No, actually, 12% off at Blessed by Israel, blessedbyisrael.com. And they make, uh, uh, they get you products from the land of Israel all over the world. Even if you're in Antarctica, pr- pr- shipping will probably cost a little bit more. So go to Blessed by Israel for great Israeli products uh, and type in coupon code Yishai, bang. 10% off right there. And they're great sponsors uh, of the show. So too are the Tchelet folks. T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T. Tchelet.com. That's the folks that make the blue string, right? The biblical blue string, which is back. Okay, it's back. It's biblical and it's back. How about that? It's biblical and it's back. I think I think I like that. That's a very easy slogan. Biblical and back. And we also have uh, new friends uh, that make a tremendous difference uh, in our life and in other people's lives, including, hold on one second, including uh, an amazing energy company that will make you uh, have clean energy in your business, which is Energy CX. Uh, that's all across the United States, if you're listening there, in all 50 states, synagogues, schools, businesses, retail, industrial, makes your light and is makes your light and electricity kosher. Uh, and and saves you a lot of money as well. They're very smart about how they do it. That's energycx.com, so check them out. Uh, that is um, a, a way to make the world a better place, make the world just a bit of a better place. And there is one more that I do want to discuss today. Oh, yeah, jewishpress.com, the good folks at jewishpress.com, just like JNS, they make a tremendous, uh, a tremendous, um, service to all of us by prov- by aggregating and providing the news of the day. I love their email, uh, Jewish Express, which is part of JewishPress.com. My good friend Stephen runs it, so check that out. They do a great job. 
and finally, silksalon.co.il, silksalon.co.il. As we speak, at this very moment, Malka and Leah, my, my beloved wife and daughter, are at Silk Salon right now. I am not exaggerating. They're right now getting their nails done for the Chag, uh, for the holiday, and you too can either get your nails done or all the other stuff that they do there, which is manicures, pedicures, facials, bridal packages, bat mitzvahs, much, much more. Be beautiful, be awesome, be beautiful, Judea. That's what we say. Uh, or get a, uh, a, a package uh, for a friend or, or uh, I don't know. You know, a great way to send a gift, which is going to silksalon.co.il. So, uh, that's right. And says, uh, and says, uh, Pink Al Pink, who I think, just by her name, probably has a sense, uh, of the importance of, uh, of, of sometimes getting a, a manicure or pedicure. I'm not making any aspersions or any, I'm not making any, you know, remarks here that are inappropriate. I'm just saying that probably, as, as, as her, her comment shows, uh, that she understands the importance of, of this sometimes. So she says, good for them. Smiley face, you're absolutely right. Sometimes you need a little heaven on earth, a personal oasis, uh, and that's silksalon.co.il. And there's many other sponsors as well, including the Land of Israel Network, which is the uh, home of our show, and yishaifleischer.com, which is where you can donate and be part of it, uh, be part of all of our projects, because we have many projects, including supporting the Jewish communities of Judea and Samaria, uh, which, uh, especially the outlying folks who are really holding on to the land of Israel. So you can go to yishaifleischer.com and donate. And our project at strengthening uh, presence uh, of the Jewish people in, in the heartland by the creating an Israel biblical highway. That's a renaming project that we have going on right now. Uh, you could write to me and I'll tell you more about it. But we're in progress with, with a great new website and, and uh, a real way to adopt a highway, adopt a biblical highway, that is. So um, so it's a great way to connect. That's all at yishaifleischer.com. And you know what? How could I forget? Last but not least, hebronfund.org. And the hebronfund.org is the organization that supports the Jewish community of Hebron, where I have the incredible merit to do my day job, my, my real job, uh, which is to support the forefathers and mothers and tourism to the town of Hebron and make sure that it's safe and strong and beautiful and protective of our, our heritage, which is the founding heritage of our peoplehood, and that is found at hebronfund.org. So all those folks make this show happen. I want to thank all of you because you are the number one, folks, because you draw it out of me. Uh, it, it, is, it is my great blessing to be part of your life, even in the tiniest little way. And finally, how can we not thank the God of Israel, who, has, who is bringing the Jewish people back to the land of Israel, and therefore not only redeeming the Jews, but making this world um, more with his presence. Because when his presence resides in Jerusalem, that means that his presence is more in this world uh, because he chooses to reveal himself more in this way, and that means what we're, that we are living in great times. Therefore, don't be surprised that the dark forces want to dark everything out. That's because they cannot stand the light of God, which is permeating this world like never before. So, all right, folks, I want to wish you a Chag Sameach, a happy holiday. If you're listening on podcast, please stay tuned for Rabbi Shimshon Nadel uh, coming up next. God bless, lots of love, lots of luck lots of revelation, lots of seeing God everywhere in your life, uh, and of course, blessings from the land of blessings, and shalom.
Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to our post-elections uh, Israel, which does not mean that we have yet a government. We're not ready for a government yet because we need to make coalitions and we need to figure it out and we need to count all the missing votes still and all the double envelopes. These are a lot of technical terms inside baseball for trying to make a government here in Israel. The Jewish people are complex people. And our uh, and our uh, law is complex, both our Jewish halachic law, uh, and so too how we form a government here in our beloved Holy Land. But I could say to you that I am myself very excited about the results of the election. I think that the national camp and the Torah camp did very very well yesterday, uh, and now it's the it's the uh, effort to to put it all together uh, and make it into Kabbalah together and make it into a government with all of the. Of various uh, 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 personalities and tensions and ideological tensions and political tensions that exist. But yesterday was a great day. It happened to be the day that was the splitting, uh, no, not the splitting of the Red Sea, but rather the, the when the Jordan stopped, when the Jordan River stopped and let Joshua and his, uh, and his nation, the nation of Israel, come into the land of Israel. That was the 10th uh, of Nisan. And so too, we actually have uh, a kind of, kind of mini holiday where we celebrate here the first Aliyah of the nation to the land of Israel, not the first Aliyah of the first Jew, which is Abraham, uh, but rather the nation coming in as a whole into the land of Israel and, and becoming the sovereign here. So that's the 10th of Nisan. And with yesterday's election, I was baking matzah because with the elections yesterday and all that, uh, we actually have the beginnings of Jewish uh, nationhood, which is through the holiday of Pesach, Passover, where the Jewish people become a nation, the exodus from Egypt, splitting of the Red Sea, on our way to Sinai. That's what uh, this period that's, that's starting in just a few days, but really has already begun because Pesach is not just about Passover, it's about the preparations for Passover. And on top of that, uh, oh, so in order to prepare for Passover, what do you need? You need matzah. And yesterday I had the great schut, the great merit to bake matzah. And uh, I do this, I've been doing this for many, many years now. I even got to take my brother yesterday and my daughter Leah, and we baked matzahs yesterday. If you go to my Facebook page, you can see a video of what it looks like a little bit. And it was a great, great honor. And there's nothing more stabilizing, right? There's nothing more um, true and unchanging and unflinching than the eternity of, of, of the Exodus, remembering the Exodus uh, from Egypt and commemorating it through the eating of matzah and also the baking of matzah. It happens to be that my grandparents, great-grandparents, uh, that were destroyed in the Holocaust in the town of Ostrowitz uh, in, in Poland uh, were bread and matzah bakers. And so that tradition of baking matzah is very, very important to us. At the same time, as we were baking matzah, I had my headphones on at 10 p.m. in order to listen to the first exit polls. So I was, I was mixing a shul and state by, by baking ancient matzah, but listening to Israel's modern election. And I was reporting to everybody what was coming in at 10 p.m. when the first exit polls uh, were coming out. Now, that was all preparation for Pesach. But this year's Pesach is also complex. And that's because uh, as complex as it is every year with all the laws of Pesach, um, we also have the additional um, challenge this year, or I don't know, blessing, that Passover, the night of Seder, falls out on Saturday night. For observant Jews, uh, this means all kinds of uh, technical preparations that we don't have to do uh, in other years. 
because, you know, you're not allowed to cook on the Shabbat. And so how do you prepare food? How do you make it warm for, for Saturday night, for the Seder, etc., etc., etc.? Whenever I have uh, halachic issues, uh, I turn to my uh, one of my rabbis, uh, a colleague and a friend and also a classmate, uh, and also somebody who has grown into being uh, one of the great rabbis of Yerushalayim, which is, I think, a great schut, a great merit, and that's Rabbi Shimshon Hakon Nadel. Let's bring him into the show. Rabbi Shimshon, shalom and welcome. Hi, uh, shalom Yishai. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you Not so much for joining us. To, uh, today. Indeed, indeed, you're busy and I'm busy, but I really appreciate that you uh, made time from your busy schedule to to join us today. Uh, And that's because uh, Israelis, Jews and lovers of Israel around the world um, are are perplexed by how to handle Pesach this year. Uh, So I wanted to turn to you and really discuss with you the, the steps. I mean, it's it's so it's such there's so many questions that they literally sent out. Uh, here in my community, a flowchart of how to deal with, with the coming days. So let me just pr- bring up that flowchart, actually, and, and look at it and uh, and start asking you questions vis-a-vis that very flowchart. Here, here's my flowchart. Here it is. Wait, wow. can you see it? Okay, yeah, you can't okay. see it too well. But anyway, the bottom line I is the... I email to members of my synagogue, but uh, I wasn't so fancy. I didn't, I didn't have time for a flowchart. These days before Pesach, it's like... Uh, you know, uh, tax season for rabbis. <laughs> We're a little busy, inundated with questions and things. So I, I, I don't make any flow charts, but I did send out an email. All right. Well, I want you to know there's a lot of people listening. Uh, uh, Lou is here, and he's one of my uh, producers for the show. He says, Shalom, Mishai, video and sound looks great. So thank you very much, Lou, from Modin. Shalom, Lou. And Mark says, uh, Boker Tov from Manchester, England. Um, and then we have our friend, Kamlesh, who says uh, hi from Mauritius. Have you ever been to uh, Mauritius? Yeah, Mauritius. Have you been there? Uh, No, one of the places I'd like to be, but have not been yet. Is there a Jewish community in Mauritius? I don't know. You'd have to ask Kamlesh. Right, because what 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 people don't know is that is that in your in your other uh, when you take off your uh, Clark Kent clothing. You're also a super traveler of Jewish communities around the world. Am I right, Rabbi Shimshon? So you're, am, you're, you're, I've, not, I've not yet been to Mauritius. So. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll get out there as well. Well, anyway, let's uh, – and Batya says Boker Tov, Batya Mira. So we've got people from all over the world joining us right now. And if you have specific questions, please feel free to write them uh, on however you're viewing this. But let's start with uh, – let's start with Yom Hamishi this Thursday, which is, which is really tomorrow. I'd like to start with a story. Go ahead. May. We Go rabbis ahead. have a lot of stories. The story is told about this very pious woman living in a little shtetl, a little village in Europe by the name of Yeta Dvaisha. Very scrupulous in her performance of mitzvot, very exacting. And her family notices that at the Seder table, when everyone's removing 10 drops of wine or the 10 plagues, Yeta Dvaisha removes an 11th drop. And the family's aghast, and they ask her, Yeta Dvaisha, an 11th drop? <laughs> Vos is dos, what's going on? And she explained, Bamir, Erev Pesach is Oise Emake, which uh, I'll translate from the Yiddish. I, I, I don't speak Yiddish, by the way. So uh, for the Yiddish speakers out there uh, listening, uh, it, you'll, you'll bear with me. Uh, she said that, by me, Erev Pesach, 
the eve of Passover, before Passover, that's also a makkah. That's also a plague. Okay, meaning that all the hard work, all the the scrubbing and cleaning and and preparing and cooking, you know, took such a toll on her. So this pious woman had to remove an additional drop of wine for the additional plague that is Erev Pesach. So, you know, uh, Pesach is always difficult. This Erev Pesach is especially confusing. As you mentioned, Pesach begins on Saturday night on Motzei Shabbat. So there are all sorts of unique laws that we'll get into together this morning. But it's important not to lose focus, that we have a mitzvah to enjoy and celebrate and rejoice on the holiday. There's a Torah law to rejoice and to celebrate. And the way the Talmud formulates that is that a man is obligated to make sure that his family, his children, his wife is happy. That's how you express this mitzvah. That's how you observe this mitzvah of rejoicing, by rejoicing together with your family and your, uh, your wife, not putting any burden on your spouse or on your children. The joke is that nowadays, you know, we don't have a Korban Pesach. We don't have a Passover offering. We don't have a Passover sacrifice. So who's the sacrifice nowadays? Our spouse and our children. Yeah, but it shouldn't be like that. That, that, that joke is in, in poor taste. I just, you know? I just want to interrupt for a second and say that um, something that I definitely do is I keep on saying to everybody, let's just be in a great mood. And one of the things that I really recommend, this is a small and simple recommendation that I make, is that throughout the cleaning of the house and the kitchen and all the stuff, put on music. Put on fun music. Let it be a dance. Let it be fun. Let the house reverberate with a certain kind of fun to get into the Pesach thing so that it's like a sweet slavery and, and not like an Egyptian uh, a bondage. Right, right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, for many people, you know, uh, the, the, our sages teach that one is obligated to feel as if he too left Egypt. So many people joke and they feel like after those days of scrubbing and cleaning and working so hard, oh, they, they really experience what the bondage of servitude, what slavery in Egypt was like, what the avodat parach, the backbreaking labor was like. And now they come to the Seder table having tasted a little bit of that. But that's not the intent. As I said, you know, just as there's a, a mitzvah to rid the home of chametz, uh, there's also a mitzvah to celebrate. And it's so important that everyone should should be in a good mood and positive. So, you know, how how sad, how tragic is it if we, we go into Pesach, this, this uh, central holiday, which celebrates our freedom and really the birth of us as a nation, if we go into it in a, you know, with, with kind of a sour taste uh, on our lips. Well, the, one, uh, one, of, one of the things that this, this year gives us is that actually since since the Seder is Saturday night, We'll be a little bit more rested, a little bit more calm. We will have studied some of the stuff that we didn't get a chance to study in the days prior to to Pesach. So so there is a kind of gift in this year's Moitzah Shabbos Saturday night to Passover Seder. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely correct. First of all, you know, I, I think that the more knowledgeable people are and the more informed they are with in terms of, you know, what the... What, what the law actually requires of an individual, what the halacha actually requires. So the more knowledgeable and the more you understand uh, these laws, the less nervous you have to be, the less anxious you have to be. It's, it's our job as rabbis to make this process as painless and, uh, and as easy as possible. Um, and again, it should, be, you know, it should be joyous and we have to go into the holiday celebrating. So uh, the more knowledgeable and informed we are, the better understanding 
we have of these laws, the better prepared we'll be, the less anxious we have to be. And I think that's that's what we'll do this morning. And as as you mentioned, you know, on the one hand, this year presents all sorts of challenges and all sorts of questions of Jewish law because Pesach begins on Saturday night. And there are all sorts of unique halachot that are unique to this year. But at the same time, as you mentioned, it allows us to go into Pesach in Hebrew, benachat. You know, after having rested up a little bit, and, right. and you don't have to run, you don't have to go into Pesach like a chicken without a head. Like yeah, the, usually, the, usually my wife comes in, Malka comes in like totally just exhausted, and uh, and but still she manages to have fun always. But it's like this year is going to be, it's going this year is going to be different than all other years. This night is going to be different than all other nights. Now, Rabbi Shimshon, let's get to the meat of it. Okay, the the folks out there are just chomping at the bit, and they want right. to understand the, the meat of things. And it starts, I think. Is, do you think it's fair for me to ask you about starting tomorrow, which is Thursday? Okay, for anybody who's listening in, in, on my uh, MP3 on my the Ishai Fleischer podcast, um, it's, it starts really already on Thursday with the question of uh, the fast of the firstborn. Yes, correct, correct. Normally, the fast of the firstborn is you know observed on erev Pesach on the fourteenth of Nisan, right before Pesach begins, the day before Pesach begins. Pesach begins at night, of course. So this year, because Erev Pesach, Passover Eve, is on Shabbat, and we don't fast on Shabbat, we advance the fast to Thursday. Now, you could say, well, why don't we advance the fast to Friday, right? If it's the day before, we should advance the the fast to Friday. But since Friday is a very difficult day, a busy day, we're busy with the Shabbat preparations. Once we're advancing the fast already, we advance it to Thursday. There is, by the way, a suggestion that maybe since we're advancing the fast, we shouldn't have to fast at all this year. There is such a suggestion in the Rishoni, but we don't we don't uh, follow that approach. Instead, we advance the fast to Thursday. And, you know, like in a typical year, most have the custom not to fast and instead to participate in a seum, which is a completion of a tractate of Talmud or some other significant amount of learning, which usually takes place in the synagogue. And that obviates the need to fast. This is the fast of the firstborn, of course, which is observed by firstborn males who are all thrown into the Nile, as the Torah tells us. So, you know, as a way to commemorate that, there is this custom to fast. But since it only is a custom, and since it's, you know, every year very difficult to observe Erev Pesach, the custom is to obviate the need to fast or, or, or to uh, to get out of fasting, so to speak, by participating in this theme, in this uh, right. celebration of a completion of learning. Okay, and we and for those of us following the Daf Yomi cycle, coincidentally, oh. uh, we just finished uh, Talmud Psachim, uh, Masechet Psachim, and so uh, that's a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm sure we'll have on Thursday some folks saying a siyum on Masechet Psachim. That was really fun. It was actually, by the way, a great Gemara. Uh, it's not scary. Wonderful Gemara with lots of great agadotot. Lots of fun. Okay. So that was. That, I, just, I just want to say it is no coincidence, you know. When when you learn, you really see the Yad Hashem, the hand of God guiding. You. When you learn Torah, all of a sudden you're learning something. Wait a minute, that's quoted in this week's Torah portion. Or wait a minute, we're learning Talmud, and the Talmud is making mention of some ho- upcoming holiday or something maybe related to current events or politics. It's, that's right. You know, there's no such thing as coincidence when it comes to Torah learning. That's right, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. Uh, I've even heard an idea that a friend of mine told me that. Daf Yomi, you could always find something from the Daf Yomi that has something to do with with the, with with today, with the day that you're with, you're living your life. You'll find something from it. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. 
Right. That's right. That's really cool. Okay, let's keep going um, because I want to also release you back to your – I know you're enjoying this, but I want to release you back to your wife's servitude at some point. Um, uh, Thursday night. Yes. Let's talk about Thursday night and, and B'dikat Chametz. Okay. Now, B'dikat Chametz, the search of Chametz in the home is usually carried out the night before Pesach. But as we mentioned, the night before Pesach is Shabbat. It's Friday night. So we advance that as well to Thursday night. By then, you know, the home is is clean. We search for chametz in all areas of our home, anywhere where uh, leaven, where chametz, where bread could have been brought. Uh, you know, if you're a, a retired couple, empty nesters with no kids around and you never bring food into your bedroom, you know, there is no need to search in the bedroom. Maybe there is no need even to clean the bedroom. It's only areas where there is chametz. But if you've got uh, your, your grandchildren, that come and visit and get Cheerios everywhere. So maybe you should look under the beds. Um, it's performed Thursday night as we do it every year with a blessing as we do every year. And following the B'dikat Chameitz, following the search, we make the nullification, the B'tool as we do every year. The difference is that this year we're going to save over some Chameitz that you'll eat on Friday, if you still want to eat Chameitz on Friday, as well as some Chameitz, maybe some rolls or pitot that you're going to use on Shabbat. We'll talk about the Shabbat meals in a moment, but um, you're, you're nullifying the chametz which you don't know about at this point, because there's some chametz that you're not going to nullify or declare ownerless, the chametz that you want to enjoy on Friday and Friday night and maybe Shabbat morning as well, okay? And then uh, fast forward to Friday morning, Friday morning, we burn the chametz, even though really one can own chametz until Shabbat morning, Saturday morning. We burn the chametz Friday morning before the sixth hour, as we do every year. And the reason why we burn the chametz this year on Friday, even though we really don't have to burn it on Friday, we can dispose of it on Shabbat morning. We don't want to get confused for future years. So everyone should take a look on their local uh, calendar from their local synagogue. But uh, in Jerusalem, that would be 1127. Right. Burn so, for 1127, uh, so I, Friday morning. I remember my Arab neighbors in uh, Ras al when I lived in East Jerusalem, Eastern Jerusalem, I'm sorry, uh, that, uh, that they would drive by and look at us strangely as Jewish men stood around, Jewish men and children stood around a kind of uh, glorified garbage, metal garbage can, burning, the, burning bread, uh, in in the morning and just and mumbling some words, uh, but that's what we do. We burn our chametz. So you're saying that that we could get rid of the, the last of our chametz on Shabbat. I think there's another reason will. why we. What's that? And, and we will. We'll explain right. how you dispose of the chametz on Shabbat. Right. But but we will. But 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 biur chametz and meaning to say in our town here and all over there'll be fires and and burning of chametz on Friday morning this year. Correct. Now. From here, we, we diverge according to the uh, flow chart. I love this. I love the, the Erev Pesach, Shechal B'Shabbat uh, uh, flow chart. Um, and it says, by the way, La Ashkenazim, it says. <laughs> uh, the, for, for Ashkenazi Jews, that's funny. Um, it, but the, there's two Maslulim from here on. It splits into two. Two, um, what do we call Maslulim? Avenues, pathways. Uh, uh, divergent paths, and one is maslul kasher lepesach and maslul chametz. Meaning, there is a Friday night with. There are some people who will choose to 
totally get rid of chametz already by Friday. That's one direction, and then there's and therefore you will eat non chametz, non leavened meals. And then there's the option of going no, allow yourself to eat chametz till the very last moment, which is going to be Saturday morning. So let's talk about the divergent pathways and and which one should we choose and why? Okay. Now there's a question every year: What do you eat? on the eve of Pesach, right? That, that question is just like we have the four questions in the Haggadah. This is the fifth question. You know, what do we eat? So that's always an issue, what you eat and what you feed your kids who are particularly picky on Erev Pesach. What do but you it, eat and, and when do you eat, right? That's the... Right? That's the... Especially a question this year when, as we said, Erev Pesach is Shabbat and we have an obligation to eat three meals on Shabbat. And so how do we navigate that? Okay, so so the maslul, as you know, there, there's one approach that that says no, you can eat chametz and save over some chametz, either some small rolls or pita bread, which is less crumbly, you know, uh, and and you don't have to have too much. Just you know, I have enough to, uh, to to feed yourself and your family a little bit Friday night and Shabbat morning. Okay, we'll, we'll get to Shabbat morning in a moment. But there's one approach that says, yeah, you can have chametz. But then there's another approach that says, wait a minute. My house is, is you know, clean for Pesach. It's chametz free. It's already kasher la Pesach. It's prepared for Passover. I don't want to bring chametz into my home. Okay. And and so what do you do? So so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, there is an option to use what we call matzah ashira, enriched matzah. Okay. And uh, which is not chametz. It's not chametz, important to point that out, but cannot be used for the mitzvah of eating matzah at the Seder table. So we'll talk about that. I see already uh, Lou is asking if I'm in favor of eating egg matzah on Friday and Shabbat. We'll answer your question in a moment, Lou. But Friday night is, a, is less of an issue uh, because Friday night you can still eat matzah. The sages prohibited eating matzah on Erev Pesach, beginning from the morning. There's all discussion in the Rishonim among the medieval sages, what time exactly the prohibition on eating matzah begins. But we know we need to be excited for the matzah. We have to eat it with an appetite, with a hunger. So therefore, the day before, the, the morning, starting from the morning of, on the eve of Passover, we don't eat any matzah. Okay, but that is matzah that can be used for the mitzah. We'll talk about some other uh, other other related uh, things in a moment. So, and, and again, it's because we have to be excited for the matzah. I, I can't hear you. I'm not hearing you, uh, Yishai. You know? Yes, yes. I, I got confused. So, 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 are we allowed to? So, so we are not allowed to eat regular, regular, plain old Pesach matzah on Friday beginning, night, Saturday morning. Saturday morning, beginning Saturday morning. The prohibition uh-huh. of eating matzah is erev Pesach, uh-huh. beginning Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a whole discussion. Some say maybe it only begins uh, from the midday, but in any case, we assume that it's from the morning already because it's supposed to have the taste of originality. You're supposed to be excited for it and have a hunger for it. You know, you haven't had it in a while. Some people, by the way, already from Rosh Chodesh Nisan, from the beginning of the month of Nisan, won't have matzah. Some already from Purim, a month before, 30 days before Pesach, won't eat any matzah. Okay? Friday night is less of an issue. So Friday night, a person in theory can have matzah, although many, many don't. Um, what should you have at your meals? So again, the house is already prepared for Pesach, your kelim, your vessels, all of your pots and pans are already paid. So all the food you're going to serve is, uh, is kosher for Pesach. 
and all of your utensils. So it's better, obviously, to use plastic, especially if you're going to, you know, if you, it's always good to use plastic, my wife says. But uh, if you're going to have chametz on your table, so you want to use plastic. You want to use plastic tablecloths and plastic ware to make your life easy. Okay, you don't want to get confused. All the regular dishes are away. Okay, so that's number one. So you can use either chametz, Friday night, or you can use what's called matzah ashira. Now, what is matzah ashira? Matzah ashira is rich matzah or enriched matzah. The Torah refers to matzah as lechem oni, poor man's bread. And the different interpretations as to what that exactly means, you know, it's broken, it's a, it's a burnt piece of, uh, of, you know, bread, and it's, it's broken, and it's, uh, it's made in small batches like a poor person. He can't afford to make a lot of, you know, a whole, whole lot of bread at once. He only has a limited amount of flour. Different interpretations as to what exactly that means. It's not rich and fluffy. So matzah to fulfill the mitzvah has to be poor man's bread. Then there's another type of matzah that's not called lechemoni. It's not called poor man's bread, but it's not chametz. It's flour that was kneaded together with fruit juices, with wine, perhaps with milk, with eggs, and that is called matzah ashira. And the Talmud says that that type of matzah, while you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah at the Seder with that matzah, because it's not called hormone bread, but it's not chametz, because our sages had a principle that flour kneaded with juice, with fruit juice, cannot become chametz. Now, Ashkenazim, as many know, have the custom not to eat matzah ashira on Passover, once Passover begins, or really maybe already from the morning before Passover. Why? Because there's a concern that, you know what? Yes, while fruit juice needed with flour does not become chametz, but maybe if there's water that got into the mix, that would become chametz. That is the concern. So the custom among Ashkenazim is not to eat matzah ashira at all, except in very specific uh, cases. A person is, is older, they're uh, infirm, they're sick, they're ill, maybe a uh, Children who can't digest regular matzah. You know, matzah ashira, enriched matzah is easier to digest, what we call egg matzah. Okay? However, even though we Ashkenazim do not eat, I'm going to be a little Ashkenazi centric, if that's okay with you, uh, Yishai. Well, we Ashkenazim- I, have, uh, I have a lot of Sephardic, yeah. so, some of my best listeners and right. friends are, are of the Sephardic persuasion, so we got to give them a nod as well. We'll address uh, that custom as well. So the, the custom among Ashkenazim is not to eat matzah ashira during the course of Passover, already from the time when chametz is prohibited. So that would be already from Shabbat morning. Uh, here in Jerusalem, it's about 10, 10 a.m. Uh, your listeners will consult their local calendars to see what time chametz is prohibited. But already from Sofzman Achilat chametz, we Ashkenazim do not eat matzah ashira, this enriched matzah. We put it away with the chametz. Although there is an opinion that, no, maybe we can even eat it later in the day. That's the opinion of the Arach HaShulchan and others. And so this year, some will rely on that. We'll get into that in a moment. But Friday night, again, a person can have meal, the Friday night meal, the Shabbat meal, with either uh, bread or matzah ashira, okay? Um, Technically, even regular matzah, you know, places like hospitals and old age homes and army bases, you know, a lot of times there's a leniency to allow them to eat regular matzah even the, on the eve of Passover, even on Erev Pesach, when it's technically prohibited by the rabbis for the reasons we mentioned. But 
in certain circumstances, since it's only rabbinically prohibited, we allow them to even eat regular matzah if necessary. But certainly matzah ashira, enriched matzah, is a very good alternative. Shabbat morning, the custom is to daven early, to pray early in the morning. My synagogue, we're going to be praying as early as 6.30 a.m. Someone's got to wake me up. Then if you well, well to that's, that's tricky up. for you, but, but here where I live, Chabad, where I pray, which starts at 9.15 on Shabbat morning, you know, it's starting at 7. Okay. So, so, so this is really, you know, once again, uh, an element of slavery uh, ha- has entered our pre-Pesach preparation. So the reason why we pray early uh, this Shabbat is to allow for people to go home and have a meal with bread or with matzah ashira. As we said, uh, we cannot eat chametz already from 10.10 a.m. and onward. So if you're eating chametz, you want to be able to eat chametz. Or Ashkenazic practice is, uh, according to most opinions, is to already refrain from this enriched matzah as well after 10.10 a.m. So what do you okay. what do you do in your house, Sephardic Rabbi Shoshon? For Sephardic Jews, it's less of an issue. For Sephardic Jews, it's less of an issue. I personally, I, I personally bought, I purchased uh, matzah ashira. I don't like the mm. idea of bringing bread into my home. You mm. know, once the house is is uh, chametz free, so I, you know, I I use matzah ashira. There's a question: how much matzah ashira one has to eat? But you know, it has to be. So you're going to eat that Friday night and Shabbat morning. Eat that Friday night and Shabbat morning, and it's and it's allowed because it you cannot since you cannot fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah with it. It's not lechemoni. It's not poor man's bread. Uh-huh. That's why it's permitted to be eaten Shabbat morning. And okay. yet it's not chametz, so you do not it's endanger not your household. It's not uh-huh. chametz. So it's not chametz, but it's not matzah for the purposes of the mitzvah. It's quasi status. I'm not so familiar with it. What does it taste like? Um, it's sweet and rich. It's it's uh, it's a little. Yeah, I don't know. It's you have to try it. I don't know. Is it, so it's it's closer to a bread-like thing. Um, no, it's definitely matzah. Maybe it's more like a cracker. Maybe it's more like a cracker. Okay. You know, okay. Usually, it's usually a lot sweeter. Okay. Um, in any case, if you're eating, if you're eating chametz uh, or eating matzah shira, you have to dispose of it. As I said, uh, we Ashkenazim stop eating already 10, 10 a.m. Even matzah shira. But uh, if you're using uh, Lechem, if you're using bread, I, I, I'm forgetting my English. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm, I start for, I've been here long enough. I've been here for uh, almost 12 years uh, here in Israel. I'm starting to forget my English. But uh, I still can't speak Hebrew, so I'm, you know, I'm completely unintelligible. <laughs> um, but, uh, you, you have to complete your meal by 10, 10 a.m. Now, some, by the way, will split... The morning meal, this morning meal, which you have to complete by 10, 10 a.m. into two in order to be able to have the third meal, the third Sabbath meal, in order to be able to have it with bread, okay, or with matzah ashirah. They'll split it into two. And what they'll do is, again, we're davening early this week. We're praying at 6.30. We'll be home hopefully by 8.30. The rabbi, myself, I'm not going to give a long speech. I'm not going to speak this week. Uh, I'll speak later in the day. So we'll get out. We'll be home hopefully by you know, by 8.15 maybe. And we'll be able to have two meals. We'll have one meal. We'll wash. We'll make kamots. We'll have a meal. And then we'll bench. We'll say the grace after meals. We'll take a little break. And then we'll have another meal. We'll wash again and have another meal, a second meal. And this will be the third Sabbath meal. First Sabbath meal is a Friday night meal. The second meal is the first morning meal. 
And then the second morning meal is your third Shabbat meal. And uh, and that way you can have it on either bread or on matzah ashira. Careful to finish. Isn't, isn't, isn't it okay to just uh, <clears throat> have, a, have a third meal without oh. a, bre- a bread-like thing? We'll talk about that in a moment. That's <clears throat> the second option. But before we get there, trying trying to bring some say there, some order to this. Very confusing. Lots of moving parts this year. Um, before we get there, you have to gather up all the crumbs from this meal. Especially you know, if, you, if you're eating chametz, you want to gather up all those crumbs. Now, we're not going to burn them because it's Shabbat. We can't burn the chametz. But what we're going to do is we're going to gather them up and either dispose of them in a public garbage in the street. Okay? For those of you who have a private garbage can in the United States, I remember when we had those nice little garbage cans. you got to put it in a public garbage can to make sure it's not yours. Yeah, so uh, Lou Weiss, I see, mentions he's going to eat on his near Pesach, on his porch. Good idea, okay? Make sure that, you know, p- people will eat in a different area. They'll eat outdoors. That way they're not mixing up the crumbs with their Pesach dishes or uh, with their with their pots and pans in the kitchen. Very good idea. When you finish, uh, again, before whatever, before here in Jerusalem, it's 10, 10 a.m., you want to gather up all those crumbs and dispose them. I think that's where we left off. You want to dispose of them. We're not going to be burning the chametz this year, but you have to dispose of them in another way. So you can put them in a public garbage can. You can scatter them into the wind. The Mishnah says you can uh, scatter them into the wind, or the Mishnah says you can also toss them at sea. Right, toss them at sea, which you know our our the contemporary uh, example would be flushing them down the toilet. So that's another option. Okay, these leftover crumbs, and then before the sixth hour, which is eleven twenty-seven here in Jerusalem, check your local calendars wherever you are. We will make the final nullification and nullify mm-hmm. any chametz in the home that we know about, that we don't know about, whatever we missed. Okay. So if you're nervous, wait a minute, I'm going to have some bread, Shabbat morning, what if I miss a crumb? And it, no, that is considered like the dust of the earth. It's made ownerless. You don't own. Because on Pesach, not only are you not allowed to eat chametz, but you cannot own chametz. You cannot derive benefit from chametz. So many laws related to chametz. Now, Yisha, you asked a question about Thudashli sheet. So I said some people will divide up the first meal, the morning meal, the early meal, into two meals and fulfill Sudashli sheet that way because they want to have bread or matzah ashira. But there is an opinion that says, well, Sudashli sheet by its very nature is supposed to be observed in the afternoon, in the late afternoon. So, you know, maybe you you cannot observe or fulfill Sudashli sheet in the morning. So they'll have the meal late in the day. The only problem is by then already, according to most authorities, you cannot have matzah ashira. So what do you eat? You, you can't have okay, you can't have matzah because it's Erev Pesach, as we explained. You cannot have this enriched matzah because uh, common Ashkenazic practice, standard practice is already after the morning not to eat it. And you can't have any bread any morning, anymore uh, already late in the day. So what do you do? So the Shulchan Aruch says, okay, you can have some meat, some fish, some vegetables, some fruit. You know, you could be Yotze. You can fulfill the mitzvah of the third meal on something other than bread, other than matzah. Sfardim, you asked about your Sfardi listeners. B'nai Eidot Tamizrach, those Jews came from the Mediterranean, North Africa, the Middle East. So they can actually eat matzah ashira late in the day. There's even an opinion that Ashkenazim as well can, but uh, we only rely on that in, in case of need. Uh, but uh, Sfaradim can have matzah ashira late in the day. 
but they have to stop before the tenth hour. They they can have the matzah shira before the tenth hour of the day because we don't want a person to get too full late in the day because you have to have an appetite for the matzah, as we said before. Okay, so those are the different options for these Shabbat meals. Right? Anyone, by the way, who has any questions, I'm happy to send out uh, forward you uh, a, a list of these laws that I've prepared. I'll give my email to your listeners and viewers. They can contact me with any questions related to Pesach or matters of Jewish law. It's rabbinadel at gmail.com. Okay? But, just that easy. Uh, <laughs> rabbinadel at gmail.com. Just that easy. It's, it's, it's very easy. Uh, and, and then we move from Shabbat to Pesach. And, wait, wait, and, just one second. Before we make that move, just one quick question okay. that I want to know for myself. Uh, for those people who are having the Sudash Lishit late in the day and not splitting up the morning meal into two, like like just, just regular whatever small things we're eating there, uh, is there a time that you have to finish by? Like you, you were saying, is that the same thing? By the 10th hour, do you have to finish your, just like your regular meal? If a, Even, person, just has, if a person just has a snack, uh, you know, some vegetables, some fruits, some fish or something late in the day, that's okay. It doesn't have to necessarily be by the 10th hour. They just can't have a meal. So I mentioned that Sfaradim who are going to eat matzah shira late in the day, which is like a meal on, on, on not bread, but on matzah shira. So that's why they have to finish. It's, it's something like maybe 10 to 4 here in Jerusalem. They have to finish okay. that by 10 to 4. Um, if they've already begun, they can continue. Now, um, uh, there's a question with regards to things like knedlach, because uh, we're allowed, I mentioned, you, you, we don't eat matzah on Erev Pesach because you're supposed to be excited for it. Uh, you're supposed to have an appetite for it. However, you can eat matzah that's ground up and cooked in liquid, like matzah balls or knedlach. That is permitted. And so some people will have like a shalashudas with that, even though that's not really bread, but it's permitted to eat, but that should not be eaten late in the day as well. That should be eaten before the 10th hour. It's permitted because it, it doesn't have the taste of the matzah. It lacks ta matzah. Uh, we are stringent when it comes to things baked with matzah or baked with, uh, with matzah meal, like cakes and cookies, things like that. But the, uh, the, the authorities allow matzah balls. Okay, so you want to know what to feed your kids or what to feed yourself? Well, you could keep a pot of soup with chicken and vegetables on the plata from before Shabbat with matzah balls, and you can serve that as well, even late into the day, mm-hmm. uh, so long as you finish your matzah balls before uh, before the 10th hour of the day. Okay? Saturday night. Let's say Motzei Shabbat. Seder night. Yes. Okay, good. So one has to be careful not to do any of the preparations for Passover, whether it's uh, setting the table, or cooking the food. You can cook on Yom Tov, of course. But one has to be very careful not to do any of the preparations before the Shabbat ends, before the end of Shabbat. So consult your local calendars, okay? With the end of Shabbat, uh, the people in the home, the women in the home, say, Baruch HaMavdil ben Kodesh Kodesh, and then they can begin the uh, preparations for the Seder, and they can light their candles. Um, the candles should be lit from a pre-existing flame, something like a Yeritzite candle, a memorial candle that was lit before Shabbat, because while uh, it's permitted to kindle on Yom Tov for 
something that's necessary for cooking, for heating, for uh, lighting candles, it has to be done from a pre-existing flame. We don't strike a match. We don't create new fire on Yom Tov. Instead, on holidays, we light from a pre-existing candle. So the, the Yom Tov candles must be lit from a candle that was lit from before Shabbat. Okay, that's important to mention. And also, uh, there's a whole discussion among the contemporary authorities with regards to um, preparing things like uh, already after Shabbat, but uh, maybe certain things that could have been prepared ahead of time should have been prepared ahead of time. Things like, you know, your lettuce, checking your lettuce that you're going to use for maror, uh, roasting your shank bone for the Seder plate, roasting your egg for the Seder plate, preparing the haroset. These things should be done before Shabbat already. That's important to mention, Okay. We allow uh, cooking on Yom Tov, but if no one's going to eat the shank bone, so then it's a whole question of roasting it. So these things should be done before Shabbat begins. So this is another uh, thing that's a little bit different this year, where you have to make sure that even before Shabbat, like, you know, on top of everything else, right, making, sure, making sure that the house is clean and ready for Pesach, you have to prepare the Seder plate and these items already before Shabbat. Okay? Okay. Uh, the Kiddush is unique this year. It's called Kiddush Yaknehaz, which stands for Yayin Kiddush Ner Havdalazman. The Kiddush is going to include a Havdalah because we're transitioning from one type of sanctity to another, from the Kiddush of Shabbat to the Kiddush of Yom Tov. So we include a blessing over a candle. We include the, the blessing of Havdalah as well in the Kiddush this year. And there's a, a unique order, Yaknehaz, Yayin Kiddush Ner Havdalazman. And it appears in all the Haggadot and all the machzorim. So uh, take a look there. And there's a whole discussion <clears throat> what to use for the candles. Uh, some say you can maybe take another candle or a match and hold it up to one of the Yom Tov candles. Others are concerned about extinguishing the candle. So uh, what one can do is just look at the Yom Tov candles, at, mm. at the holiday candles that have been lit, and, and it, it suffices with that. Is yes. that what you do? Is that how you do it? I do. That's what I do. Yeah, it suffices with that. Others will, will light some sort of smaller candle this year. A different opinion. As with everything, you know, uh, it's it's all a matter of opinion, right? Well, you know. today we're asking your opinion, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel, and we really do appreciate it very much. Um, I just wanted to make sure also that I got one thing, which is uh, keeping the the food hot. Just, okay. just I, I know this is maybe simple for some, but but for others, just want to understand uh, we uh, traditional. Torah observant Jews um, want to come into the holiday uh, with uh, with food that's hot. You're not allowed to keep that food. You're not allowed to prepare that food on Shabbat, uh, but you're allowed to prepare it from Friday uh, or, or before Shabbat and put it on a plata, a uh, a, a hot plate, uh, and other ways to to keep it warm. I just wanted to make sure that you can kind of clarify for us how do we serve hot food uh, on on the Seder Saturday night. Sure. Look, you know, uh, like like on any Shabbat, uh, we warm our foods on a plata, on a, uh, nowadays we have electric hot plates, um, dry foods, solid foods can be placed on the hot plate, even on Shabbat. Yom Tov is less of an issue because it's already permitted to cook on Yom Tov for Ochel Nefesh. Right? As we said at the beginning, at the outset, there's this mitzvah to enjoy and to rejoice and to celebrate. So it's permitted to cook on Shabbat, and on Yom Tov, excuse me. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to be very careful. <laughs> a lot of moving parts, a lot of confusing elements here. 
uh, it's permitted to cook on Yom Tov, on, on the festival. So it's less of an issue. So you can, on once Pesach begins, Saturday night, you can cook food. Now, the, uh, the holiday begins so late already, and until people come back from the synagogue and you want to, you know, to start the, the Seder right away, it's a very late night as it is. You know, we spend a lot of time relating the story of the Exodus from Egypt. So it's already a late night. You want to prepare the foods already. I'm going to, I like, I, as you know, I like to cook, Yishak. I like to cook. I fancy myself a little bit of a, of a chef. Um, so, so I like to cook. So I'm already going to cook uh, starting, you know, tomorrow and, and Friday. So, well, but everybody, yeah. everybody's just, every father is jealous right now uh, yeah. because they, they would like just their son-in-law to be a great rabbi and a, and a great family chef. Forget yeah, about yeah. it. And, and you still owe us, by the way, uh, your, your uh, recent uh, important birthday. You still owe us a celebration yeah. together uh, yeah. in which we come to your, one of your barbecues in your Shalim. So, and we want to wish you a great happy birthday for that. Uh, let's 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 uh, sum up. I want to let you get back to just answer your to, question. Just answer your question with regards to heating food. So you know, look on Yom Tov as well. One can use a hot plate, an electric hot plate, and put food on that. It's not a problem. Even liquids on Yom Tov, since you're allowed to already cook on Yom Tov. Or a person can light a stove, light a gas stove from a pre-existing flame, like a pilot light. Now, if you have electric ignition, it's a little bit of an issue. You have to disable the electric ignition. But as we said before, you're allowed to kindle from a pre-existing flame so long as you have a need for it on Yom Tov. You asked me about uh, barbecuing, about making a bonfire. As long as there's a need for light, for heat, or for food, you can kindle from a pre-existing flame on Yom Tov. And so you can cook on Yom Tov and you can heat on Yom Tov, not an issue. The most important thing is to enjoy Okay, I was very much looking forward to making a kind of bonfire and doing part of my seder uh, wow. on my balcony. Uh, the only problem is, is that they're predicting right now uh, something like thirty-seven degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yeah. uh, so a yeah. very cold seder, and the weather has been absolutely wild right now. It was warm. Right. Now it's cold and windy and very, very dusty. And my friends with allergies, including. Uh, our beloved Rav Mike Foyer and my good friend Alex and others are really suffering right now. So I want to wish uh, everybody a, a kind of strength through this uh, allergic season and hope that it rains soon and clears up the air so that we can see the glory of the of the third Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. And, and uh, the Seder will be together with you, Rabbi Shimshon, if you don't mind adding me to your Chabura, um, uh for, for the Korban Pesach in Yerushalayim. That would be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. We should All right. marry- we should merit to, as we say in the, the, the blessing of redemption, which uh, ends off the Magid section and uh, introduces the second cup of wine. We should merit to rejoice together in the rebuilt city of J- Jerusalem, in the rebuilt Holy Temple. And there we will eat from the offerings, including the Passover offering, the Korban Pesach. Oh, that's another point which we didn't mention, that in that blessing this year, uh, according to most opinions, one should change the order, and uh, one should say "min hazvachim u min apsachim." But that's for another time. But uh, you follow follow what's written in your Haggadot, in your uh, in your uh, uh, Haggadah Shel Pesach. Consult your local rabbi. And as I offered to your listeners, I'm happy to take any questions. They can email me. People text me. They WhatsApp me. They call me. So, Rabbi Nadel at gmail.com, Is that correct? Yes, that's that's correct. That's the email Rab- again. 
Rabbi Shimshon, I want to tell you, uh, ask your local rabbi is, is very good advice, but there's also a global rabbi, and that's what you are by joining us today here on the Shai Fleischer Show, and you are a rabbi also uh, in uh, Harnof, uh, and teach all over, including at the OU, and do a lot of writing, including the OU Torah Tidbits and many other places, uh, Rabbi Shimshon Nedel, Rabbi Shimshon Akohen Nedel, uh, but all, you're, you're, you're a local rabbi, you think globally, but act locally, uh, as, as Greenpeace taught us many years ago. And I want to thank you so much for being with us. I want to wish you a great uh, Pesach and, and a happy Yitziat Mitzrayim, a memory of Yitziat Mitzrayim, and to feel ourselves that we are leaving Egypt and, and, and the Exodus. And may we Exodus from this year of, uh, of a semi-bondage uh, of the corona and, and come out into freedom, uh, something like uh, the, uh, the Noah's Ark, that the, the animals in Noah's family were there kind of trapped in isolation for, for a year in quarantine, and they're coming out, and so too we are also coming out here in Eretz Israel, and we want to wish blessings and health for the rest of the world. Amen. Thank you so much for having me, Yishai. This is really a, a treat, and I got to take a break from all that uh, scrubbing and, and cleaning and Passover prep, and I wish you and the entire Jewish people in the entire world, uh, it should be a time of redemption, both personal and national. Rabbi Shimshon Akoy Neidel, Toda Rabba, thank you so much, and Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach, Chag Kasher V'Sameach. All right, folks, that was Rabbi Shimshon Akoy Neidel. Thank you so much for being with me, and lots of blessings to you uh, from the land of Israel, lots of blessings to get your house clean, and also for all of you who are not Jewish, uh, but are just part of the story. Uh, I want to wish you also a great, uh, a great Passover holiday, and I want you to find a way to celebrate it, uh, in which you too... Uh, feel like you have uh, been part of that exodus, that you understand that the birth of the of the Jewish people as a nation and, and the, the liberation of the Jewish people from uh, from Egypt, Egyptian slavery and the receiving of the Torah, which is what Shavuot is about, is also a light unto the nations, which you are spreading uh, as well. And you are part of this great and amazing story and part of God's great vision. Uh, and I am honored to to be part of your life. And I'd love to hear from all of you Jews and non-Jews alike, Israel and friends of Israel. Write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com or yishai at thelandofisrael.com. God bless all of you. Thanks again to Lou and all the friends that are with us. Catherine says, Toda Raba and Chag Sameach, which means thank you very much and happy, a happy holiday, happy pilgrimage holiday. God bless you guys and see you in Yerushalayim. Shalom, shalom from the land of Israel and blessings from the land of blessings. Join the Land of Israel Network Fellowship. Sign up today and join the revolution, inviting the world to learn Torah from Judea with Jeremy Gimpel and Arya Bromowitz. We may come up short on becoming the person we want to be, but that's not the point. Happiness is progress. Wandering aimlessly through a meaningless life is a recipe for suffering. What could be worse than walking around the desert for absolutely nothing? But as long as we are walking toward the land of Israel, every step has purpose. For more information, visit thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship.